0: The easiest thing to do in education is to do the one size fits all. (laughs) And that honestly is what we started out doing, this one size fits all communication plan. And we quickly realized, if you really do use data to analyze where you're going, you realize, okay, something's not working here.
1: Have you ever noticed that some of the best ideas come from unexpected places? Your next breakthrough may come from a leader facing similar challenges, but in a completely different sector. Welcome to Chief Influencer. I'm your host, Anthony Shop. Join us as we explore how today's successful leaders inspire, influence, and connect with others. Chief Influencer is a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board, who have teamed up to spotlight how great leaders and communicators are making their impact in the world. This episode is brought to you by the George Washington University's College of Professional Studies. With in-person and online programs, ranging from master's degrees in public relations strategy to certificate programs and digital communications, GW offers more than just the credentials to help working professionals get ahead. It prepares them to be leaders in their field. As a proud GW graduate myself, I can attest that faculty members combine academic rigor with real-world lessons that can't always be found in textbooks. Check out cps.gwu.edu for more information. Today, we are joined by Dr. Monica Goldson, the CEO of Prince George's County Public Schools, which is the 20th largest school district in the US. Dr. Goldson has been called a dedicated and dynamic leader. She's been lauded for her communication with parents, among other qualities, that she honed navigating um, the pandemic during her tenure. She began her career as a high school math teacher, and planned to become an actuary, but as happens to many leaders, her career took her in a different direction. Monica soon realized that education was her true calling and she steadily moved up the administrative ranks, becoming principal, associate superintendent, deputy superintendent, and chief operating officer uh, prior to her appointment as CEO, which is uh, the equivalent of superintendent for those of you who don't know. Uh, A member of the president's board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities Dr. Goldson holds three degrees from HBCUs, a bachelor's in mathematics from Florida A&M University, a master's in elementary and secondary school administration from Bowie State University, and a doctorate in educational administration and policy from Howard University. Her two adult sons are both graduates of Prince George's County Public Schools, and I'd be remiss if I didn't add that you, Dr. Goldson, are a member of Leadership Greater Washington. So, Monica, I am so excited that you're here with us today. Welcome to Chief Influencer.
0: Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you.
1: You know, as we talked about what this whole um, initiative is about, this program is about, we talked about how leaders have to also be influencers, right? And you're a leader who is working to achieve change in your community and in the world. And to do that, you have to figure out who you need to influence and how to influence them. So I wonder if you could just start by telling us who are the people that you need to influence as CEO of one of the largest school districts in America? Well,
0: thank you for having me. Um, And and I love talking about this because I don't think when I first went into this role that I considered myself a chief influencer, but then it became abundantly clear that there were lots of people that I needed to influence in order to move the district forward. So it ranges from, I have 131,000 students. So that's one body. I have parents for those 131,000 students. And it could be um, either they're coming from a single family home, two parents' homes, or it could be their grandparents that are raising them. I have 20,000 employees. And of those 20,000 employees, 10,000 of them are educators. So I have those to influence. I didn't I knew it going in, but the influence of our elected officials is extremely key in this role. And we just finished the 2023 legislative session um, and having conversations with those influencers because they're influencers as well. And they do it in the form of policy. And then, of course, I have Board of Education members who I also have to influence. So there are lots of groups that I need to influence and they all require a different level of attention um, and attentiveness in order to influence.
1: them. No shortage of stakeholder groups there. That's a lot of people and groups to remember. Why don't you, I mean, I would just love to hear more about the strategies and the tactics you use as you try to reach those different folks, because I don't think they get more Different or diverse from one another when you're thinking about young people, students, their families, policymakers, the media, et cetera. So, kind of unpack that a little bit for us.
0: So, yeah. So, let me start with students because that's the core of our work. And um, many of the social media outlets that I might use is not what my students use. So, quickly, I had to learn early on hey, um, the students in PGCPS want to communicate either through Twitter or Instagram, period. Um, while we, they, every student has an email address, they don't always check their email in a timely fashion. And the one place that I know they're always going to go to to check weather is Twitter. Like they're waiting for me on Twitter if we have inclement weather to close school. Like that's the most important thing for many of them on any given day. But if I need to get some information out to them quickly, um, and they're only going to want instant information that's really short snippets, so I, I use Twitter for them. For my parents, what I found is we've had to use a variety of tools for our parents. And, and I have an amazing communications team who really unpacks, and we review our analytics on a monthly basis because things, times and things change. So we've learned over time, it's a variety of tools. It starts with the weekly newsletter that parents can expect to receive every Monday. And that newsletter has lots of graphics, um, short snippets of information so that they can quickly access the information. Um, what I also found to be extremely popular during the pandemic were these telephone town halls, where um, we, dial, we use a company, and we dial out to... All of our homes that we have access to, their phone numbers too. And it literally calls them and they answer. And we do a one-hour telephone town hall where probably the first 15 to 20 minutes, I'm giving information that I want our parents and our community to know about. So you don't have to be a PGCPS parent. You can also go online and sign up. And we also publish it and you can call in as well. And on those calls, we get about 20,000 or more people on those calls, 20, 30, 40,000 people on those calls. And after 15, 20 minutes of receiving information from me, they then have an opportunity to ask me any question that they so choose. I prefer for the questions to be about the topic that I'm potentially discussing. But let me be full disclosure. Sometimes the questions do not have anything to do with the topic. Um, But I think my parents in the community liked it because they know it's not canned information. Like you can't make up the questions that come from the community members. But for me, I'm uneasy because I have to be prepared for anything that comes. But it's an extremely popular tool um, that we do. And we do it on a quarterly basis. And now the other thing that we use for parents is because we're a one-to-one school district. So that means that every child has a technology technological device in front of them. Most of our parents now participate in PTSA meetings through Zoom now. They don't literally have to go into the brick and mortar in order to get information. And so now that's another tool that we've been using. For staff, I know you're like, oh my gosh, it's, so, it's different. For staff, they also get a newsletter, but they get their newsletters on Friday because we wanted to make sure that um, they still get the newsletter we send to the community on Monday, but we do different content for staff on Friday where we highlight staff as well. And I've also done robocalls for just staff, because sometimes their questions a lot of times related to topics are different because they're what I call in the trenches with the work. So we do a robocall with them. And the other thing that seems to work well with my staff is that um, I have a policy that we respond to emails within 48 hours. So it almost makes our staff feel that they have an open door policy um, and they can come in and see me at any time. But it's typically via email. Um, And then for our elected officials. What they seem to like is in our weekly newsletter, there is this one minute summary that we talk about what's happening for the week. Our elected officials love that one minute video snippet. They use it in their newsletters and it keeps them updated. The other thing that I do with our elected officials, if there's something major that's happening in their district, I typically will send them an email. And then I will then use a text message to say, can you check your email real quick? Because they don't always check their email. But I do that because I want to make sure that they have the correct facts around what's happening. And they see a lot of constituents. So if they hear a story that while they're out, they can say, yeah, no, that's not actually accurate. This is the information that I received directly from the school district. And then the last one is the Board of Education. So... um, I use all of those methods. I use um, text messaging for them, emails for them. They get a weekly newsletter from me every week just saying what's happening um, in our school district. And then now they've asked for me to provide them every month. So the first day of every month, I give them information that I need their assistance in pushing out on their listserv, on their Facebook pages, their LinkedIn sites um that they do in their Saturday coffees they talk about and I send that every month the first day of every month so each group gets something
1: different yeah okay there's a lot to kind of <laughs> go through there what I'm hearing though I mean there's some themes uh, that this is great one is you have different groups and they want to be communicated with in different ways they do. sometimes that's by the time of day Sometimes that's by the day of the week. Sometimes that's by the format. So knowing your audiences and how to reach them. That's um, key. Yeah, it's really key, isn't it? Like the elected it officials is. like that video. They are influencers in their own right. So having mm-hmm. that video that they can share with others helps you get your message out through them where Perfect. you may not be able to get it out directly yourself.
0: Yep, that's true. But I, I think I'm, I want to make sure our listeners know we didn't start out this way. We actually, because it's the easiest thing to do in education is to do the one size fits all. (laughs) And that honestly is what we started out doing, this one size fits all communication plan. And we quickly realized if you really do use data to analyze where you're going, you realize, okay, something's not working here. And then we started to have focus group conversations with all of those groups to ask them what, what, what it is that they needed in order to fully understand and for us to get our information out. And we realized then that, okay, it's not the one size fits all plan. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's not one size fits all. I mean, that's just like a great phrase for us to take away. The second is I heard throughout setting expectations. Yeah. Do the town halls quarterly? I send, a mm-hmm. I send the community um, email Monday. I send the employee or staff email Friday. You know, in setting those expectations so people know what they're getting and when they're getting it and they have that level of consistency, that's important, isn't it? That's
0: very important because our parents now, if you set that level of expectation, then they know what to look for. They know, oh, it's going to come out on Monday. It's so much so even board members will email me and say, hey, Can we make sure that this is highlighted in the next community newsletter? Yeah. The other part of it around the expectations is if it's something really important, we repeat the information. So now they know, oh, that's really important. She said this now three times. Yeah. So let me make sure we pay attention because for three weeks now, she's brought this up.
1: Yeah. And people miss things, right? People are busy. And so having that consistency is so key. Um, I want to go back to these telephone town halls mm-hmm. where you have tens of thousands of people. Yes. You don't filter these questions. No. So literally <laughs> what happens is, is that, Oh, this seems scary to a lot of leaders. They're, they're going, what are you doing? I would, there are a lot of people are thinking I would never do that.
0: Dr. And you but. know what? It's interesting you say that, but we get, I think it's the largest group of people that we know for a fact we get all at one time. And they all get the same message. You know, we might have 20,000 people who open our newsletter, but I don't know that all 20,000 have read every piece of that newsletter. What I can say is that on this robocall, 20,000 people have heard a consistent message from me for 15 to 20 minutes. And sometimes I have a special guest. Like during the pandemic, I had the health officer from the local health department who was on who could answer medical-related questions. So it doesn't mean that it always has to be just you. So sometimes I've had special guests, but what does happen is that they have at least 30 minutes. The ideal now we have learned doing this is literally between um, 45, really they want 45 minutes of questions. And I do have staff that you push a number on the phone and then you literally tell the person, hey, my name, you just give your first name. And you just kind of give the generally what you're going to ask. And that's it. And then literally, they get pushed through through the queue. So at least they can just say, hey, this is Anthony who's calling. And he has a question around transportation. That's it. You don't say what your question is. You just say, hey, I have a question around this. And that's it. A lot of times what I have found after doing it so many times that I forget to say something. And the questions remind me, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention this. Now, mind you, I have already prepped a script right beforehand. So I'm not the 15 minutes are not off the cuff. I I know I got 15 minutes. I got to get all this information in. But there are times that I'll forget to say something that I I didn't put in my script. And the question then jogs it and reminds me to say, oh, my God, thank you for that question. I forgot to mention. Yes, we're going to do this, this and this. So it does turn into people believe that they're on a conversation on a call with just myself and them. Yeah. But yeah, it can be scary for a leader. I'm going to be honest.
1: What kind of questions do you get? I mean, what are some of the memorable? You no, know,
0: I get. Um, so we try to do themes around the topics. So at the beginning of the school year, right before school starts, we have a back to school. So I try to answer everything related to transportation, backpacks, uniforms grades, back to school, now everything you can think of related to that. When it was health-related pandemic, I tried to answer anything that was happening during that time frame around the pandemic. Um, hybrid learning, in-person learning, virtual, PPE, all those topics. Um, I mean, there are times I've had it with, my, with employees, and theirs could be around pay, or when's the next holiday, or um, when are you going to meet with union leaders? Uh, I can, you know, and then there's sometimes you get some of the funniest questions out. Um, there are times that I get questions from parents and they're solely about just their child. Hey, my son came home and he had homework and I needed help on question five. And the teacher said this, and I don't, I don't agree with the teacher. Now there are times where I've had to say, okay, I appreciate that. Do me a favor, because that's really specific to just your child. Can you send me an email? Because we don't want the 20,000 other people on the call to have to go through the response. But I've had times where um, the one common one that everyone still reminds me of is I had an employee who asked during the pandemic, why couldn't they get unemployment? And I thought to myself, what? You're employed. You actually are still my employee. That's why you can't get unemployment. So I think because you get those kinds of questions, it allows the, the end user to realize, oh, these questions are not screened because I guarantee you she would not have allowed that question to go through. But it'll it's comforting because people know, hey, she doesn't know who's on the other end. We just give her a name and they're going to get their question answered immediately right then so I think that's why it's so popular
1: yeah and you know you mentioned to me once um, a student might ask a question like you know when's prom oh my my immediate reaction was like go to the website obviously there's a million places you could find (laughs) the answer but it sounds like you're saying that's not the point it's not just to get the information it's something else talk about that
0: it's not the point so that's a great point because sometimes people will ask the same question so I'm like okay now clearly they weren't listening to me. Um but it really isn't. What it is what yes, it is a tool to get information out. That's number one. I no question about it. But what it does do, it builds a sense of trust between the community and myself and it helps me to build relationships with my community. So there has not been a time where after a telephone town hall, typically the week after a telephone town hall, someone will stop me anywhere I am to say, hey, I was on that telephone town hall and oh my God, your response to this question cracked me up or oh my God, I was able to get through and get my question answered. Thank you. Or oh my God, and the next telephone town hall, can you bring up this topic? So it almost removes this barrier that people believed existed between the CEO, superintendent of a district, and the work that's happening all the way down to the level of the classroom or in even people's homes. So for me, it's helped to break down barriers. And I've seen people who said, yeah, no, on the telephone town hall, you told us to expect this. And I knew it was coming. So I knew to be prepared. So it, it does help with consistent messaging. But for us, it's helped to give us some knowledge beyond just that information, getting.
1: I think that's such a powerful lesson for leaders because, you know, you mentioned you have to repeat information multiple times. Mm -hmm. And in this case, people might ask the exact same question, you know, something that you just answered. And yet the fact that you're giving them the opportunity to ask the question and you answer it, Mm -hmm. they feel heard. That helps build up that trust, which is so important. We can't influence people if they don't trust us and if they don't care about what we have to say and, you know, they're not um, willing to engage. And so I think that's a great leadership lesson for us, isn't it? That it's not just about getting the information out. There's something more to it.
0: I think that's key. The listening piece is so key. And when you brought it up, I just like this happens on the RoboTel Hall, you know, it made me come back to pre-pandemic. I used, I held these listening sessions, um, three listening sessions in the district, three different locations throughout the district. And it literally I did just that, I listened. And I explained in the very beginning, I'm not gonna respond to questions. You literally are telling me what you want to see happen in Prince George's County Public Schools or what drives you crazy about us. And I literally stand stand on the stage, sometimes I sit, and I record notes from everyone who signed up to speak. And at the end of that session, I then go to the mic and I summarize Everything that everyone has said, if there are 50 people that come up to speak, I give you 50 sentences on what a person shared. And then I then take those notes, type them up, and then I meet with my executive leadership team to go over all those issues. What can we do to resolve them? What were some common themes? Because when you do it in three different locations, there are some themes that come out, themes. And then I literally post in newsletters or websites on our website what we've done to begin to tackle what people talked about.
1: Hmm.
0: So that's another strategy around listening that that got that gave us a lot of mileage at the very beginning of my tenure. Yeah.
1: Well, that's a gift too, to be able to do that in real time. I mean, that's that's great that you um were willing to do that and that you flexed that muscle. Cause you know, that's, and,
0: and let me tell you, it's a muscle that when you get done with it, you literally do have to go and decompress. I don't want any leader to think that it's easy to sit and just take it all in. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you leave feeling discouraged because you're like, Oh my God, I thought we had done this. And obviously we didn't, but it does offer an opportunity to recalibrate. Yeah. And if you really thought that something you did work and now you got maybe 10 out of 150 who are telling you it didn't, then honestly, it causes you to reassess and to figure out how you can redo it differently so that you get, you don't have anyone who comes and says, Hey, that's not what we thought happened.
1: Yeah. Well, the other thing that strikes me is you get, you know, if you show up in person to do a listening session, the people who will show up to that might be people who are already very active, or they may have a gripe or something, and it's still really a valid, important thing to do. But something that I heard as a theme when you were describing the different ways that you all communicate was this idea of being very proactive. You Mm -hmm. said, one, when you send an email to a busy policymaker, you will text them to let them know so that they are aware of it. But two... You mentioned that with the telephone town hall you don't just provide the information for people to dial in you use a system that calls out to people's homes in the early evening maybe you could talk about why you chose that time yeah. and it says hello the town hall is going on and you know you can listen i don't know exactly what it says maybe you could tell us what, um but that proactive nature and then you're getting you're getting a broader population of folks to participate obviously thousands so t- tell us a little bit more about yeah. that and even why you do it at the time and the the mechanism that you use for the telephone town hall? Because I'm still so impressed. You got 20,000 people on and you're willing to take questions from these folks.
0: Yeah. So it actually does exactly what you said. It's almost, you know, when you get a call from a number and you're like, oh my gosh, here we go with these telemarketers again, and you don't answer it. It's the same notion, um, except we tell you in advance so that you know, hey, there's going to be a call from PGCPS at 6 p.m. on this date. So you do know to answer it um, so that you know, hey, this is the call that I've been waiting for. And for the first two minutes, we do have a script. Hi, welcome to our telephone town hall for today. This is normally it's our communica- uh, someone from our communications team, our business partnerships. This is, hey, this is so-and-so, and we're here to have our telephone town hall. We're expecting over 50,000 calls. So we're going to continue to make sure everyone connects and we'll start. And after two minutes, we've we've called out to every home, people picked up, and then we start the call. What we have learned by doing it is the time is also, the time that you do it is so important. So we do it at six, we start at six, and we conclude at 7 p.m., regardless of how many Additional questions are in the queue. That's important because people have to know I'm only going to give an hour. I know she's never going to exceed that time. We also do it at a time that one, it's before dinner, dinner time. Um, People, we found out through a survey that people eat dinner between 630 and seven o'clock. 530 was too early because people were sometimes still in traffic. Six o'clock um, for our elementary parents was right on time um, because around 7, 730, they're getting them prepped for bed. Um, so we needed to make sure we access them earlier. Um, the other advantage that we found around the robocall is that people can be anywhere to receive the call. So sometimes they are on their commute coming home. Sometimes they're in the grocery store. Sometimes they're at home prepping dinner. And the minute that the call ends, everyone's able to sit down at the table to eat. They're at home. They don't need a daycare provider. All the kids are there. So sometimes we've had parents who said, look, I get my kids set up for homework during the time of the call. So, hey, you do your homework from six to seven. I can check it right after that. We can go and get you ready for bed. We've already had dinner and they're ready to go. So we've really been strategic around the selection of the time. And that is key. Even when I do the employee town hall, there are times that I've done the employee town hall right after work concludes. So sometimes it's around 4 30 or 5. So for them, they might want, they typically want to take the call on the commute home Mm -hmm. because when they get home, they want to just focus on family. They don't want to talk about work anymore.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, And sometimes we've done the telephone town hall for staff on a day where only staff comes in and students aren't there. So it could be during the work day. So you kind of have to know what's best for the group, the constituents that you're trying to work with. But that timing is key.
1: Yeah, goes back to that. One size does not fit all. It and also size. people are so busy. So you're, you're, you know, somebody can do it while they're cooking dinner. Or they can do it while they're driving. And, and it sounds like they can also listen to you record it. Is that right? So they can it listen is. To it We after. do,
0: we record it and then we post it on our website. So if you missed it, you have an opportunity to go back and listen. And yeah. then I mentioned, so, so thanks for bringing that up. I mentioned that we, it ends at seven regardless. So if there's still some questions in the queue, um, then the people who are answering will say, Hey, unfortunately it's seven. You didn't get to ask your question. Do you want to give your question now? We'll write it down and then we create a frequently asked questions document where we then I then go back when they send those questions to me. I then go back in and respond and write it and post it. So sometimes people say, "Nope, actually, my question was answered. Somebody already asked it or someone say, you know what? Nah, mine is a little bit more specific. So I'll just go ahead and send an email directly to the CEO account. And some will say, yeah, let me go ahead and give you that
1: question and then I'll answer it and post it. I think that transparency is so powerful too, because if you think, well, if I can't make it in the first couple of questions, mine or whatever, you might not be as engaged, but if you know, and then you have the FAQ and you have the recording and people can go, I mean, that transparency says a lot, even for folks who maybe don't listen to the whole thing, the fact that they know it's there, right?
0: (laughs) Correct. That they can go back. So if you missed it, because you did think it was a robocall or you were somewhere where you just couldn't listen and be engaged, you could always go back to it. Sure.
1: Now, as we talk through this, I mean, one of the things I have experienced and heard from so many leaders is that the best ideas often come from unexpected places. And as I hear about these different strategies that you use, I'm just wondering, have you found inspiration from outside of your own industry that you've brought back as you put these uh, practices in place?
0: Always. I think the great thing about influencers is that you're all you're influenced by other influencers. So through professional development, I have the opportunity to convene with other superintendents or people who are CEOs of companies who do amazing strategies around getting to know their employees or getting information out. And so I'm always listening intently to hear what they're doing and then to get those ideas from them. I willingly share with others around the robocall piece, like that's a good piece. But the newsletter piece, I actually, we were doing a newsletter. I think it just was too much verbiage. Um, And um, from one of our healthcare providers, we found that people were really reading the newsletter from the healthcare provider, Um, but it was short. It had graphics, really quick language, and and it's interesting because in my team a meeting, we all mentioned, hey, did you all see um, the message that they sent around mental health? And everyone was like, yeah, but then we unpacked it to say like, okay, so what made all of us read that newsletter that quick? Mm. And then we began to try to replicate that same thing ourselves. So you get inspiration from others. And I think that's one thing that I love about this podcast is that you'll get to hear from different organizations, people who lead in different positions, but hopefully everyone will walk away with a strategy, no matter what profession that you're in, that you can use for the demographics that you serve.
1: Yeah, we have a conductor of an orchestra, a diplomat, um, elected officials, so a whole mix of folks, and there's so much we can learn from one another, but they're not necessarily the people that we may be rubbing elbows with at industry conferences or, you know.
0: Exactly. And I look time. forward to learning from them. I think, you know, some, one group that as an educator that I think people don't always realize that have influenced me are our students. And because of them, me having an opportunity to talk to them and listen to them, we've actually been able to execute policies around their thinking. So never disregard any constituent, especially based on age. Um, Because of them, we now have financial literacy as a graduation requirement because students wanted that done. Hmm. When I first came in, there were students who said, we really need a mental health practitioner in every last one of our schools. Now, to be honest, there were lots of adults. Many of them were parents who were not on board initially. And there were students who held up community meeting on a Saturday to talk about why it was so important. And at the end of the meeting, I had a parent who got up to the mic who said, I appreciate this because initially I was against it because I thought that those sessions would be an indictment on my parenting. But now I understand that why students need it has nothing to do with me as a parent. It's more about them needing to have tools in their tool belt in order to navigate the school day and the world around them. And because of that, we now have mental health practitioners in 168 of our 198 schools. And the last 30 will come on July one in the new fiscal year. So, you know, that listening piece is so key, but making sure you don't disregard any age group.
1: And what a legacy that you're doing that. I think that's incredible that, that, uh, You've put that into practice because that can't be easy to implement. Yeah. As you talk about students, you know, it occurs to me. I know I've heard you say before that one of the greatest challenges educators face today is closing mm-hmm. the digital divide, um, ensuring all students, you know, regardless of their race or socioeconomic status, have appropriate access to education, not just during the pandemic, but you know, beyond. And I wonder if you could tell us more about what you're seeing when it comes to the digital divide, what you're learning Mm -hmm. and also what it means for how you connect with the right people at the right time, including your students. Yeah.
0: You know, during the pandemic, so first we approached the pandemic really on my team of never let a good crisis go to waste. And because of that, we found an opportunity to begin the process of closing our digital divide by giving every child a laptop or an iPad, an iPad for our really youngest learners. Um, But that meant nothing if you didn't have Wi-Fi access. So we quickly had to use some of our operating funds to help to bridge that gap so that they could sign on online and could access teaching and learning through those devices. But then the federal government came up with the, connecti- the Connectivity Act, which allowed us to then take get rid of our operating funds and move all those families to a program where they can still get free Wi-Fi. And for my school district, we have 68% of our students who are on free and reduced meals, which means that they have an income where the disposable income for Wi-Fi more than likely is just not there. And we didn't want to create a situation where a certain type of student couldn't access our resources. And so we closed the gap there by making sure that they got free Wi-Fi access. We put hotspots on all of our school buildings. So even if you needed to be in a vicinity, you could still access free Wi-Fi. If you need to pull up in a parking lot, you could. Um, and because now every child has a laptop, they take it home with them every day. They have it even during the summer. So because of that, I mentioned earlier that sometimes parents now use our devices to log on to a P- PTSA meeting in the evening. They don't have to leave home. They can sign on. So we don't have to worry about a transportation issue, a daycare issue. Um, sometimes they're doing it from their job. They might have a night job, and they have their employer has given them an hour to be able to pay attention to a PTSA meeting. So we have that opportunity. We now also have a program called Hazel Health, where our parents and students can now access telehealth opportunities. So let's say I wake up in the morning and I say, mom, I have a fever. I really don't want to go to school. And the parent says, you know what? I I don't have time to get you to a doctor's appointment, or you call a doctor's office and you can't get in for a week or two. You can now use our telehealth system and literally meet with the doctor virtually to say what your symptoms are, how long they've been going on. And the doctor can recommend, hey, you know what? It sounds like based on everything you've shared that you might have allergies. And so you might have a headache because the pollen level is high. Why don't you try taking an allergy pill? Mom or dad, go ahead and let your child go to school. Take the allergy pill before they go. And then let's come back again tomorrow in this same telehealth session to see if there's some improvement. What that does is it makes sure the child has been seen by a healthcare provider. They haven't missed a day of school. They've come in and now still everyone is still healthy and safe.
1: Yeah. So using sort of the virtual tools, not just in the classroom, but the way that you create opportunities for parents to engage through PTSA and then even telehealth, which I'm yep. even through healthcare. For the first time. That's yeah. amazing. Some of the things you're talking about, you know, relate back to public policy. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, um, as you think about how you deliver the right message to the right people at the right time, you know, I'm curious about doing that effectively with students. But then I also noticed, you know, you've written opinion pieces yourself in the Washington Post and even in The Hill, which is a publication Mm -hmm. that's, you know, focused on Capitol Hill. You probably didn't do that to reach parents in your district so much as, um, to reach a different audience. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that work that you've done uh, on yeah. the public policy side. And I'd love to hear about connecting with students directly and just what you've seen has has worked from a social media standpoint. I know you've even gotten students engaged directly in um,
0: Yeah. That. So the public policy piece is really key. And you're right, I have written pieces for the Hill. I've even reached out to um, Congress members to say, hey, what can I do to help to close the digital divide? And and so that's key. So you do have to reach out to your policymakers. And because of that, I've sat on panels, I've met um, some of the FAA administrators to understand what their view of the issue is and to see how I could penetrate that issue from an education standpoint. Um, And I know that the written word also helps, which is why I work with my comms team to make sure that I'm able to get that word out to the right places and people. And that's also why that Connectivity Act piece was so important because it didn't just happen out of the blue. I had conversations uh, with Senator Cardin hey, what can I do to help? Because this is what my community is experiencing. And he would say, oh, Monica, I get it. Or Van Hollen would say, Monica, I so agree. I've had people who reached out as well. Could you come and talk to some other people on the ground so that they know what's really happening in our school districts? And so by doing that, that has helped to change what that policy conversation is. Early on in this conversation, Um, I mentioned we just finished our legislative session on Monday um, in Maryland. And from January to April, I'm in tune with every education bill that's going forward. And because of relationships with my elected officials, they'll send them to me. Hey, what's your thoughts? And I know that they're on a time crunch. So that does not mean that I get to wait a week to respond. That means I've got to be right on top of what the issue is. If I agree with it, I've got to say that. And I have to feel comfortable if I don't agree with the policy to say that as well. And what I don't like about the policy and what I recommend for amendments. Not only do I do it individually, but I also do it as a collective group. So I'm part of all of the superintendents in the state of Maryland meet monthly. But during legislative session, we meet weekly to talk about what those topics are, because there are some topics that we all can agree on. And there's some that are just specific to just my district. So you do have to have a communication tool where you're doing that on a regular basis. And during January to April, I'm available um, all on the whim. If I need to reach out to an elected official, if they say, hey, I need you here in Annapolis on tomorrow at 2 p.m., I've got to be able to change my schedule, get there, do it, and talk about that policy. If we ever really want to make changes, and that happens. In terms let's, of students, yeah, I
1: around on there on students.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about students. So, we've had um, a recent situation around the use of fentanyl. And I have been trying to use every tool possible social media, digital tool possible. Uh, we've put it in our community newsletters, we've done a robocall around it. Um, I've talked about it every opportunity at a board meeting. I've asked our local health department to talk about it. And now they've actually posted commercials that are on TV around the use of fentanyl. But I also have a group of students that I meet with. They're representatives from each of our high schools that I meet with um, every quarter. And I really just presented it to them. Say, hey, I'm at what's end. I don't know what else to do. I But like, I I don't know that our students are listening because I keep getting an issue every week. And uh, my students were the ones that said, well, maybe we need to be the ones giving the message because we tend to listen to each other sometimes more than we listen to adults. And I said, you know what? You're right. (laughs) That is so true. Who listens to us as adults because we don't know anything? So, hey, um so quickly the students said we'll do a commercial around fentanyl use and I connected them to our communications team and they created a commercial around fentanyl that um we've received um M- we've received acknowledgement from NBC around it um I just got a notice from one of my board members that they were at a national conference where that video was highlighted and now others are looking to do something very similar hmm. so Sometimes the solution is right there in front of the audience that you're trying to capture. In this case, I'm trying to get the attention of students. I had not thought about the fact that other students can get to students, but they did. And so I then got the resource to them and were able to allow them to help to get that message out. And then we've posted that same video on Instagram and Twitter so that anyone can see it. And we have it on our website as well
1: we'll link to it in the show notes, because I think it's a great example of, um, you know, finding out who's going to be the best messenger. In this case, students are going to listen to other students, like you said, and using that energy and creativity. Uh, I, I love it. You also mentioned the media. And, you know, I find leaders sometimes have been almost trained by communications professionals and advisors to think about so much through the lens of pitching to media. And Mm -hmm. we haven't talked about that too much yet. But in this last example, you really talked about creating something that would resonate with the intended audience of students. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, the media paid attention to it. And then, of course, that further amplifies it. So I'd love to just hear a little bit more about what you've learned um, working with the media and strategies for doing that.
0: You know, let me tell you, the very first thing I learned coming into this role is that don't run from the media. Do not run. Don't run. Um, that they really can be your partners in your messaging. And in, within the first month of taking on this role, I reached out to our major media outlets um, to introduce myself. And um to offer to invite them in to meet me, ask questions um, so that they would know that I'm a resource here in order to convey our information. And I can tell you um, it has really paid off. Does that mean that every story that every story that the media is going to do is going to be positive? No, it does not. <laughs> but what I can tell you is that, even on some of the stories that I didn't always want, I didn't thought, I didn't think it was a great representation of PGCPS, that reporter always reached out ahead of time to let me know that the story was going to be aired. And they always allowed me an opportunity to have my voice in set, to give my version of it. There were many times, if it's a personnel-related matter, that I couldn't always speak specific but I appreciated the fact that they gave me an opportunity. And so I say that because um, the media can't always be looked at for the negative piece of it. So we do news releases all the time and we push them out to our media outlets all the time. Um, So much, so when I say all the time, we're very strategic about pushing out a great news story at least once a week. And if we notice that um, it's not getting picked up by a certain station or something, broadcast company, we do reach out to say, hey, it's been two months since you've ran a really great story around PGCPS. Would you like for us to send you one? Are there some specific topics that you're looking for? We'd be glad to be able to give you a story around that, that topic. So we've also been strategic around keeping a list of what Um, people are looking for, and now it's gotten to a point, once again, this comes back to those expectations. Now we've gotten to a point where our reporters will reach out and say, hey, in a month, we're going to be doing a story about AI. Love to be able to highlight something around artificial intelligence that PGCPS is doing, so that then we can find someone, get it to them, and have the story out for them. So now they're reaching out to us instead of us always pushing stories directly to them. And ultimately, that's what you really want.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about, um, you know, being proactive versus being reactive and finding those opportunities that, you know, you went out and said, Hey, we haven't had, heard from you for a while and maybe, maybe we can help you out and then they start to come to you more. I love that. This has been such a fascinating conversation. I am so grateful that you chose to spend some time with us today and some of the themes that, really resonated with me were mm-hmm. um, that it's not one size fits all. When you have mm-hmm. a variety of stakeholders, and I don't think anyone has a more uh, you know diverse group of stakeholders than you do from a board all the way down to students mm-hmm. uh, and everybody in between that, you have to figure out the right tools and the right strategies to connect with them, whether that's literally being proactive and calling them during dinner time so that they can mm-hmm. listen to your town hall with thousands and thousands of their neighbors while you um, (laughs) while they're making dinner and and you're updating them. So I love that. I also think that power of unleashing the energy of your people, whether it's allowing them to ask questions unfiltered or having students lead making content uh, when you're fighting, you know, an epidemic like um, fentanyl is so powerful Uh, And then, you know, it also just sort of struck me what you said about um, the way that you interact with everybody by consistently setting expectations so they know what they're going to hear from you and when they're going to hear from you. Um, That really resonated, too. And I think it's a very powerful lesson for leaders. So, Dr. Monica Goldson, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Thank you for having me. And I look forward to learning from other influencers to even improve my craft even more.
1: Well, I know many people are going to benefit from hearing from you. And I'm so excited for you to meet some of the other folks who are part of this. Me too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Chief Influencer, a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board. If you know a leader who should be featured as a chief influencer, please nominate them at chiefinfluencer.org. For show notes and more, visit us at chiefinfluencer.org or follow Chief Influencer on LinkedIn. Until next time.